Hey guys, welcome to the Bitcoin Fortress podcast, helping you increase your financial freedom. This is episode 74, recorded here on July 23rd, 2023. This podcast is for entertainment only and is not investing advice, so please do your own homework. Okay, well, got a lot to cover this week, um, so we'll just jump right in. Market update. Stocks finished little change Friday as investors look to earnings in the week ahead, along with what is expected to be the Federal Reserve's last rate hike in the current cycle. The Dow Jones average eked out a gain to notch its 10th straight winning session, its longest streak in nearly six years and showing how the rally is broadening from a few chip makers and high-flying tech firms into other areas of the economy such as healthcare, energy, and banking. Friday's quarterly results included reports from credit card firm and Dow 30 component American Express, oil field services company SLB, and advertising giant Interpublic. The latter was the top percentage loser on the S&P 500. Treasury shares Treasury yields stabilized after surging in Thursday's session, partly due to economic data that showed a continued fall in initial jobless claims. The longer end 10-year yield was down one basis point to 3.84%, while the more interest rate-sensitive two-year yield was up one basis point to 4.85%. For the week just ended, the Dow jumped 2.1%, and the S&P 500 added 0.7%, but the NASDAQ composite slipped 0.6%. Looking ahead, the earnings season hits full swing next week with 150 S&P companies due to report. The list of heavy hitters due up at the earnings plate includes Microsoft, Meta Platforms, Boeing, and Coca-Cola. Outside of the earnings arena, the negotiations between United Parcel Service and the International Brotherhood of Teamsters on a new labor contract that covers about 340,000 workers will be closely watched ahead of the expiration date of July 31st. The strike potential has broad economic implications with UPS handing, uh, handling roughly 28% of the 75 million packages delivered in the U.S. on a typical day roughly split equally between businesses and homes. UPS and the Teamsters Union are scheduled to resume talks on July 25th. The calendar also includes a couple of major central bank meetings. The U.S. Federal Reserve is expected to boost interest rates a quarter point after being on hold at the June FOMC meeting. While inflation and the economy are both cooling, the statement from the Fed is expected to keep the existing policy rate guidance in place and reiterate that it will remain data-dependent. Meanwhile, across the pond, the European Central Bank is forecast to raise its benchmark rate by 25 basis points and not rule out another rate hike in September. Okay, Uh, jumping into the weekly Bitcoin news, we'll start with um, what I uh, like to do, which is the top stories of the week from Cointelegraph. Um, which was uh, posted yesterday. First one here, Chair Gensler says SEC reaction to Ripple decision is mixed, still under consideration. U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission Chair Gary Gensler has commented publicly about the recent ruling on the agency's suit against Ripple, saying the SEC is still looking at it and assessing that opinion. Gensler declined to comment further on the case, but said the commission is pleased with the court's decision stating that XRP was a security when sold to institutional investors, but disappointed with the non-security ruling for retail investors and other XRP distributions. Comments made by the regulator on July 21st in the lawsuit hinted that it might appeal the decision in the crypto community. However, some believe it is unlikely to happen as the SEC benefits from the, quote, current confusion. And we'll go into that one in a little bit more detail. Uh, bipartisan bill to regulate DeFi, crypto security risks introduced into U.S. Senate. A bipartisan bill was introduced into the U.S. Senate, tightening regulations and sanctions requirements 
for decentralized finance. The bill would subject DeFi operations to the same requirements as other financial companies, including centralized crypto trading platforms, casinos, and even pawn shops. The proposal also makes anyone who controls that project liable for the use of the DeFi service by sanctioned persons. The bill also set new requirements for operators of crypto kiosks or ATMs to prevent their use in money laundering. Kiosk operators would be required to verify the identities of both counterparties in a transaction. Well, that should be interesting. Uh, altcoins bled as Bitcoin gained dominance in Q2. This is from CoinGecko. The second quarter of the year has been a solid one for Bitcoin's performance as its market dominance gained against altcoins, which bled throughout the period. According to CoinGecko's industry report, Bitcoin and Ether continued to build their market share over the past months, while Binance Coin, uh, XRP, Ripple, and Cardano suffered double-digit losses over the quarter. DeFi tokens were hit particularly hard during the quarter with Uniswap, Chainlink, and Lido taking double-digit losses as well. The top five metaverse and play-to-earn tokens by market cap also marked losses up to 40%. Uh, so my advice, Stay away from the shit coins. Just stack Bitcoin. Uh, next up, multiple spot crypto ETF applications go to Federal Register in step toward SEC approval. Applications from several firms for a spot Bitcoin exchange traded fund have been published in the Federal Register, moving them one step along in the US SEC process. According to the records, applications from BlackRock, Fidelity, Invesco Galaxy, Van Eck and Wisdom Tree were officially registered. Publishing the applications gives the SEC a window of opportunity to accept or reject the request, extend the time allowed, or open the application for public comment. The SEC has an initial window of 45 days to reach a decision, but the Commission has the option of extending the process for up to 240 days until March of 2024 for final approval or denial. Ah, uh, the government working expeditiously for all of us. Next up here, Robert F. Kennedy Jr. vows to back U.S. dollar with Bitcoin if elected president. So this is some interesting news. We'll talk about more of this later. The summary here, Democratic presidential candidate Robert F. Kennedy Jr. has promised to progressively back the United States dollar with Bitcoin if he's elected president. Kennedy said during an event, that backing the U.S. dollar with what he called hard currency, including gold, silver, platinum, or Bitcoin, could help to restabilize the American economy. Kennedy explained the process would be gradual and that depending on the planned success, he'd adjust the amount of backing for the dollar. Additionally, Kennedy declared he would make Bitcoin to U.S. dollar conversions exempt from capital gains taxes in an attempt to spur investments in the country. Uh, let's see. Crypto memes can be considered financial promotions, says UK Watchdog. Crypto firms and influencers may need to start including disclaimers on crypto memes to stay compliant with advertising laws in the United Kingdom. The country's Financial Conduct Authority released on July 17th the proposed guidance on social media financial promotions that targets promotional memes and financial influencers or finfluencers. The FCA considers crypto a high-risk investment. Per the FCA's proposal, crypto can be advertised to retail investors at large, but there are requirements such as including risk warnings and a ban on investment incentives. Hmm. Guess they don't like scammers scamming. Hackers compromise Uniswap founder's Twitter account to promote scam. Uniswap founder Hayden Adams' Twitter account was compromised on July 20th. His account released a tweet to its more than 254,000 followers, falsely claiming that the platform's Permit2 contract had been affected by an unknown exploit, and users' tokens were at risk, encouraging them to click on a malicious link. The Web2 Security Alerts channel on Telegram detected the scam attempt and reported that Adams had also been blocked from his accounts with MetaMask and Coinbase Wallet. 
Couple behind Bitfinex money laundering scheme reached plea deal with U.S. prosecutors. We'll get into that one in a little more detail as well. The summary here is two people accused of having laundered billions of dollars worth of Bitcoin connected to the 2016 Bitfinex hack have reached a plea agreement with authorities in the United States. The pair has been charged with money laundering, conspiracy, and conspiracy to defraud the U.S., and they're expected to forfeit digital assets connected to the case. Crypto exchange Bitfinex was hacked in August 2016 with roughly 119,754 Bitcoin stolen. And that wraps up the top stories of the week. Next up, uh, I guess we'll have a little update on FedNow since that went live last week. Uh, this article is from Bitcoin.com, and uh, this was just uh, looks like it was updated three days ago. Federal Reserve launches FedNow for instant payments. J.P. Morgan, Wells Fargo, and 33 banks on board. The Federal Reserve announced Thursday that its new system for instant payments, the FedNow service, is launched with 35 participating banks and credit unions, the U.S. Department of Treasury's Bureau of the Fiscal Service, and 16 service providers. Participating financial institutions include BNY Mellon, J.P. Morgan Chase, People's Bank, U.S. Bank, and Wells Fargo Bank. The FedNow service is designed to maintain uninterrupted 24-7, 365 processing with security features to support payment integrity and data security, the Federal Reserve detailed, adding the FedNow service is neither a form of currency nor a step toward eliminating any form of payment, including cash. Fed Chair Jerome Powell commented Thursday, the Federal Reserve built the FedNow service to help make everyday payments over the coming years faster and more convenient. He continued, over time, as more banks choose to use this new tool, the benefits to individuals and businesses will include enabling a person to immediately receive a paycheck or a company to instantly access funds when the invoice is paid. Functioning as an interbank payment system, the FedNow service operates alongside other well-established Federal Reserve payment services like FedWire and FedACH, the Fed's announcement described. The Federal Reserve is committed to working with the more than 9,000 banks and credit unions across the country to support the widespread availability of this service for their customers over time. Many people took to Twitter to comment on the new FedNow service. A number of individuals believe that its launch paves the way for a central bank digital currency. However, the Federal Reserve has insisted that the FedNow service is not related to a CBDC. Some people believe that the FedNow service eliminates the need for cryptocurrencies. Omid Malikan, adjunct professor at Columbia Business School, explained, arguing that FedNow eliminates the need for crypto or even stablecoins is like arguing in 2005 that replacing VHS rented from Blockbuster with DVDs eliminated the need for streaming. P.S. FedNow is 25-year-old tech. America is just really late to the game. <laughs> uh well you you kind of have to question what they're saying here and why they're being so um vehement about it's not a cbdc so i guess we will just have to watch but it sounds like uh you have three choices in terms of how you want to send payments uh, i don't know how that works like if you're like if you log into your bank let's say and you can send a wire or you can send an ACH. Like, is there going to be a third option to, to do Fed now and have it be instant? I mean, I don't know. It'll be interesting to see what that looks like. But uh, we will continue to watch. On the um, dollars dying front, we will uh, have a, an update here. This was updated three days ago. This is from Bitcoin.com on the BRICS. BRICS interest soars. 40-plus countries seek membership as de-dollarization efforts grow. Uh, Anil Suklal, South Africa's top diplomat in charge of BRICS relations and officials from the South African Foreign Affairs Department shared the latest stats on BRICS membership applications in a press conference in Johannesburg on Thursday. South Africa will host this year's BRICS summit 
The economic bloc comprises Brazil, Russia, India, China, and South Africa. Sukhlal revealed that 22 countries have formally asked to join the BRICS. He was also quoted by Reuters as saying, an equal number of countries have informally expressed interest in becoming BRICS members, including all the major global South countries. Countries interested in joining BRICS include Argentina, Iran, Saudi Arabia, the United Arab Emirates, Cuba, the Democratic Republic of Congo, Comoros, Gabon, and Kazakhstan. The BRICS Leader Summit will take place on August 22nd to 24th in Johannesburg, with one of the key topics on the agenda being the discussion of BRICS expansion. Russian President Vladimir Putin, however, will not be attending in person. On Tuesday, Sukhlal emphasized the rapid expansion of the BRICS bloc. The diplomat was quoted by IOL news outlet as saying, with the expansion of BRICS, it could increase to more than 50 countries. One of the topics that has received worldwide attention is the proposed common BRICS currency. Russian news outlet RT recently claimed that the BRICS nations are launching a gold-backed currency that will be announced at the August summit. However, Leslie Mazdorp, Vice President and Chief Financial Officer of the New Development Bank, also known as the BRICS Bank, has insisted that the BRICS does not have an immediate plan to create a common currency to challenge the dominance of the U.S. dollar. According to IOL, Sukhlal said the topic of BRICS currency is not on the summit agenda. He further stated, we will expand on addressing the idea of deepening interaction and trading in local currencies. Countries want to have greater flexibility and to be less dependent on the dollar. Brazil's president, Luiz Inácio Lula da Silva, said in June that he intends to raise the issue of de-dollarization at the summit. He has been vocal about countries ditching the U.S. dollar in global trade and using their national currencies instead. The Brazilian leader has also expressed support for the creation of a common BRICS currency. So very interesting. We'll have to watch uh, that summit and the news that comes out of it, uh, whether there is a new currency that's born or um, or what happens with that. But it's, uh, it's interesting to continue to monitor that situation. Uh, this is on the Ripple ruling. Uh, this is from Bitcoin.com also. This was just updated today. Articles entitled SEC says XRP ruling in Ripple case wrongly decided signs appeal. The U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission stated in a new filing for its lawsuit against Terraform Labs and its co-founder Do Kwan that some decisions in the court ruling on the SEC versus Ripple case regarding XRP were wrong. While noting that the Ripple ruling regarding institutional investors supports the SEC's claims, the securities watchdog stated, however, with respect to the programmatic and other sales, the SEC respectfully avers that Ripple conflicts with and adds baseless requirements to Howey and its progeny. The regulator added, respectfully, those Portions of Ripple were wrongly decided, and this court should not follow them. SEC staff is considering the various available avenues for further review and intends to recommend that the SEC seek such review. The SEC's filing was in response to a filing earlier this week from lawyers representing Terraform Labs and Quan seeking to dismiss the regulator's lawsuit. In February, the SEC filed a lawsuit against Terraform Labs and Quan, accusing them of engaging in a fraudulent scheme and selling unregistered securities, which resulted in the loss of at least $40 billion worth of market value. The lawyers for Terraform Labs cited the Ripple ruling as support for their motion to dismiss the lawsuit, saying that the Ripple decision confirms the legal insufficiency of the SEC's argument that certain tokens, including the failed stablecoin TerraUSD, were securities. <laughs> even though it was clearly a total Ponzi scheme, um, whatever. Following the Ripple ruling on XRP, SEC Chairman Gary Gensler stated that the regulator is disappointed with the ruling regarding retail investors. While the crypto community celebrated the Ripple ruling, indeed, I think Ripple rallied something like 80% or something after when that news came out. Uh, there were cautionary voices, former SEC Internet Enforcement Chief John Reed Stark and lawyer, lawyer Brian uh, Jacotop believe that the ruling rests on shaky ground, warning that the decision could be overturned.
Well, just don't shitcoin. That's it's just that simple. Stay away from it. Just buy Bitcoin. Um, I thought this was interesting. This is on. Uh, this was from uh, Decrypt. Uh, this was posted on July twentieth. Canadians are having crypto stolen from their homes. Police say. Uh, Canadian neighborhoods are being plagued by a wave of home invasion-style robberies in search of wealthy crypto investors' private keys, according to local police. According to the Royal Canadian Mounted Police's website, a warning has been issued by police in Richmond and Delta about the rising trend as several robberies of this nature have occurred. Investigations are still ongoing and police have not provided details regarding specific incidents or the amount of cryptocurrency that's been stolen. Police are also yet to determine whether there's a link between individual incidents through a discernible pattern, though a discernible pattern is emerging between each, authorities have said. In each of the cases, the suspects gain access to a victim's home by posing as delivery people or persons of authority, the RCMP stated. Once let inside the home, the suspects rob the victims of information that gives access to their cryptocurrency accounts. The physical nature of the theft stands in sharp contrast to the more common sorts of crypto crime in the industry, such as online scams and ransomware attacks. Such criminals usually leverage the pseudonymity of Bitcoin networks and the irreversibility of transactions and typically do so from a distance. Whereas hackers may be able to exploit a DeFi protocol to steal millions in crypto from its users, crypto funds are rarely Physically seized, this is because crypto investors <clears throat> largely keep crypto funds either in custodial wallets behind a password, non-custodial wallets, the sort that require users to memorize a 12-word seed phrase, or a hardware wallet that offers added security. But many hardware wallet manufacturers encourage people to keep backup versions of their seed phrase on a piece of paper, giving thieves something to look for when they break into someone's house. Ironically, the advice from police for worried crypto owners is to trust in centralization. Keep your valuables and financial information in a safe location like a safety deposit box at a financial institution, wrote the RCMP. Earlier this month, a Bitcoin developer released a tool called BIP39Colors, allowing Bitcoin holders to disguise their seed phrase as a series of colors. This could theoretically allow investors to hide their crypto in a less obvious manner rather than as a clear list of words. So this is interesting. Uh, this has been around for a while. Uh, Bitcoiners call this the $5 wrench attack, uh, which is basically somebody threatening you and, and you know trying to get your seed praise. And so, you know, you really do have to think adversarially when you're storing your Bitcoin. Um, that's why, you know, if you have a significant amount of Bitcoin, it's probably good to have multi-signature. Um, I like, you know, uh, collaborative custody, you know, so it's a two out of three. Um, so you work with a service provider that has the third key, you have two, any two out of the three keys can move the coins. Um, and then what you do there is you store the uh, hardware wallet. Uh, if you want to be really secure, what you do is you store the hardware wallet and the passphrase um, uh, in completely different physical locations. Like the hardware wallet might be in your house and the passphrase might be I don't know, locked in a cabinet at your work. Uh, uh, if you're using multi-sig, you may not need to go to that extreme. So you can probably store the, the, the paper uh, backup with the hardware wallet in the same location, but you would keep the two keys in completely separate locations. Um, Bank safe deposit boxes are okay, but you know if the bank's closed, <laughs> you can't get to it. So if you have uh, two physical locations, uh, like you know your office at work or your home, or if you you know your your parents' house and your house or something like that, it's probably better to to uh, distribute your keys that way. In that scenario, I mean, yeah, they can get your your key, but they won't be able to do anything because they'll need two keys to move the coins 
um, in, in the case of a $5 wrench attack. Uh, on the subject of home invasion robberies, um, now Canada, I guess, has outlawed gun ownership. So, you know, too bad for them. But in the United States, you can still own a gun. You can still protect yourself. And I'm actually going to be writing about that in my blog next week. So um, take, take a look, keep a look out for that. Um, Second Amendment, Bitcoin, they kind of go together. But anyway, I just thought this was a very interesting article. But there are some some practical things you can do to protect yourself. Uh, and like I said, um, if you just have a single signature set up, the best thing you can do is just store your hardware wallet in your house because you need that to access the funds. Um, you won't need your seed phrase every time. You just need your passcode. And then um, store your seed phrase physically in another location, like not in your house. Uh, but like I said, multi-sig makes it a lot easier um, because there's absolutely no way. I mean, they could hold a gun to your head and say, move the money. And if you have your hardware wallet in your possession, you could potentially do it unless, you know, you have a cold card where you can put in a couple dummy uh, codes and then brick it. And then when you when you brick it, you can't you can't do anything with it. So this could be a whole other show, but uh, anyway, that's, I just thought that was a really important uh, one to go over. Okay, moving on. Uh, if you remember this, this is the crazy uh, gal that was um, doing horrible rap songs and, and um, you know, all this obnoxious stuff on social media. Uh, the, this is uh, this is from Yahoo Finance. This was uh, posted on Friday. Bitfinex hackers agree to forfeit billions in Bitcoin in plea deal. And by the way, I'll put links to all of these in the show notes so you can read it for yourself. The couple charged with laundering four and a half billion in cryptocurrency and conspiracy to defraud the United States through a 2016 hack of crypto exchange Bitfinex have reached a plea deal, according to court documents Friday morning. Part of the plea deal, the couple has agreed to forfeit proceeds from almost 120,000 Bitcoin they stand accused of laundering. Ilya Lichtenstein and his wife, Heather Morgan, both of whom were arrested early last year, are set to appear before a judge on August 3rd and can face up to 20 years in prison. U.S. prosecutors said that the culprits employed numerous sophisticated laundering techniques, allegedly using false identities, automating transactions, and then depositing the funds on a variety of exchanges and darknet markets, a process known as layering. Upon arrest in February 2022, uh, the Department of Justice seized $3.6 billion, considered the department's largest financial seizure ever, said Deputy Attorney General Lisa O. Monaco, but many questions about how the hack and subsequent seizure of funds happened were left unanswered. Uh, I think that's one where they, they left the um, private key to their Bitcoin wallet on some kind of cloud drive like Microsoft or something like that. So it was for Google. So it was pretty easy to get the private key. Uh, anyway, according to court documents, both parties alleged, allegedly conspired to launder 119,754 Bitcoins, all stolen from the Bitfinex platform when it was hacked in 2016. Recently, the company recovered a small amount of the Bitcoin cash that was stolen in the notorious hack. Uh, next on the political front, and uh, I'm not a huge fan of politicians, and uh, this one in particular, I don't like all of his uh, positions, and I think it's, it's highly unlikely he's, he's even going to get nominated. But I do think it's noteworthy that politicians are talking about Bitcoin and getting behind it, if nothing else, to get votes. Uh, but it encourages the public discussion, and I think it also is uh, positive for adoption. So this one is from Coindesk. This was published on July 19th. RFK Jr. vows to back dollar with Bitcoin, exempt BTC from taxes. U.S. Democratic presidential candidate Robert F. Kennedy Jr. unveiled a plan to exempt Bitcoin from capital gains tax when it's converted into U.S. dollars and to begin to back the greenback with real finite assets such as gold, silver, platinum, and Bitcoin. 
Backing dollars and U.S. debt obligations with hard assets could help restore strength back to the dollar, rein in inflation, and usher in a new era of American financial stability, peace, and prosperity, said Kennedy. He would start the process, he said, very, very small. Perhaps 1% of issued T-bills would be backed by hard currencies like gold, silver, platinum, or Bitcoin. Speaking at a Heal the Divide PAC event Tuesday evening, he also echoed commitments he made at a conference in May defending the right to self-custody Bitcoin, run blockchain nodes at home, and promising industry-neutral energy regulation. The story was first reported by The Street. The benefits include facilitating innovation and spurring investment, ensuring citizen privacy, incentivizing ventures to grow their business and tech jobs in the United States rather than Singapore, Switzerland, Germany, and Portugal, said Kennedy. Uh, the Internal Revenue Service treats Bitcoin as property and investment rather than currency, which means it's subject to tax on capital gains. The Securities and Exchange Commission has also been cracking down on the industry. Crypto companies have been calling for more regulatory clarity for months and are looking to see if a ruling against the SEC and its lawsuit with Ripple, which we just talked about, will lead to a change in approach. It is a mistake for the U.S. government to hobble the industry and drive innovation elsewhere, Kennedy wrote in a Twitter post in May. Biden's proposed 30% tax on cryptocurrency mining is a bad idea. He wrote, referring to incumbent President Joe Biden, also a Democrat. Uh, so that's um, interesting. Um, again, what I said earlier, it's good from a standpoint of public discourse and adoption. I don't think the answer is backing currency, because even the BRICS, you know, getting backed by gold, thing is just not you know the greatest because while it might be great at first you know history shows us that it's only a matter of time before the central authority that's responsible for backing the currency with the commodity whether it's gold or silver or even bitcoin uh once they start um debasing it you know well you know it doesn't need to be one for one you know it can be um you know uh, something less than that, you know, so maybe it's uh, 0.75, you know, to one or 0.5 to one, and then it's 0.25 to one. And then, you know, like what happened in 1971, it's just completely unbacked, just vanished, poof. And um, so I'm not sure backed is... I mean, they'll try it probably if they have to restore confidence in fiat currency, um, but uh, that's not a sustainable long-term um, thing that can be done. Let's see. Uh, next up, we have... Uh, this is from Cointelegraph. This is uh, posted on July 21st. Uh, BlackRock ETF will be, quote, big rubber stamp, yet yeah, big rubber yes stamp for Bitcoin. Uh, this is according to Charles Edwards. Bitcoin stands to win big thanks to the BlackRock exchange traded fund, a little hopium again this week. Uh, investor and analyst Charles Edwards believes. In his latest interview with Cointelegraph, Edwards, who is founder of Quant quantitative Bitcoin and digital asset fund Capriol Investments goes deep into the current state of Bitcoin price action. With his previous bullish statements continuing to stand the test of time and after an eventful few months, Edwards does not see the need to alter the long-term perspective. Bitcoin, he argues, may be less of a sure bet on shorter time frames, but the overarching narrative of crypto becoming a recognized global asset class undoubtedly remains. Cointelegraph, when we last spoke in February, uh, let's see, Bitcoin price was around 25000 um, Bitcoin is not only 20% higher today, but Bitcoin's NVT ratio is also at its highest levels in a decade. Does this suggest more upside? And he responds, NVT is currently trading at a normal level at 202. It is trading in the middle of the dynamic range band well below the 2021 highs given its normalized reading today it doesn't tell us much just that bitcoin is fairly valued according to this metric alone 
At the time, you described Bitcoin as being in a new regime, but forecast up to 12 months upward grind to come. How has your thinking evolved since? That thinking mostly remains today. Bitcoin has steadily grinded up about 30% since February. The difference today is that the relative value opportunity is slightly less as a result, and we are now trading into major price resistance at 32,000, which represents the bottom of the 2021 bull market range and confluence with major weekly and monthly order blocks. My outlook today over the short term is mixed with a bias towards cash until one of three things occurs. Price clears 32,000 on daily weekly timeframes or mean reverts to the mid-20s or on-chain fundamentals return to a regime of growth. At 30,000, miners have begun to send Bitcoin to exchanges en masse at levels rarely seen. Pooling in particular has moved a record amount in recent weeks. To what extent will miners' purported selling impact price moving forward? He responds, it's true that relative Bitcoin miner sell pressure has stepped up. We can see that in the two below on-chain metrics, miner sell pressure and hash ribbons. Bitcoin's hash rate is up 50% since January. That's over 100% annualized growth rate. This rapid rate of growth is not sustainable long-term, hence we can expect any slowdown will trigger the typical hash ribbon capitulation. This rapid growth in hash rate can also uh, can only mean one thing, an extraordinary amount of new mining rigs have joined the network. Uh, a quote here, it's 50% harder to mine Bitcoin, there's 50% more competition, and as a result, 33% less relative Bitcoin revenue for miners. Through 2022, there were delays and backlogs in global mining hardware shipping <clears throat> for many months. We likely have seen that backlog flush out in the first half of the year, with the large hash rate uptick. New mining hardware is costly, so it makes sense that miners would want to sell a bit more at relatively higher prices today to help cover operational costs and take advantage of the 100% price rally we've seen in the last seven months. Miners are large Bitcoin stakeholders, so if they're selling at a rapid rate, it can impact prices, though given their relative share of the network is diminishing, that risk factor is not once what it was. Um, when it comes to U.S. macro policy, how do you see the Fed approaching inflation for the second half of the year or further rate hikes coming past July? Um, he responds, the market is pricing in a 91% chance of rate hikes through, through the rest of this year. There's a 99.8% chance the Fed will raise rates at next week's meeting, according to the CME Group FedWatch tool. So it's probable we will see one or two more rate hikes. Uh, in 2023. That seems quite excessive given inflation has consistently been trending down since April 2022. It is now well below the Fed funds rate of 5%. Of course, things could change quite a bit over the next months, but if we take uh, two more Fed rate, hike, rate hikes as the base case, my expectation that any net change in the Fed's plan would be a toward a pause. We've already seen the considerable stress building in the banking system with multiple bank collapses just a couple of months ago. 2023 was the biggest banking failure of all time in dollar value more than 2008. So things could change considerably over the next six months. Regardless, the Fed has implemented the vast majority of its rate hike plan. 90% of the tightening is complete. It's now a game of wait and see. Will inflation continue to decline as anticipated, and will that occur before or after the economy takes a turn? They then ask, Bitcoin's correlation with risk assets and inverse correlation with the U.S. dollar strength has been declining of late. What's the reason for this? Is this part of a longer-term trend? He responds, Bitcoin has historically spent most of its life uncorrelated with risk markets, oscillating from periods of positive to negative correlation. Correlation comes in waves. The last cycle happened to see a very strong correlation with risk assets. This began with the corona crash in March 12, 2020. When fear peaks, all markets go risk off into cash in unison, and we saw a huge spike in correlations across all asset classes as a result. Following that crash, a wall of money entered risk markets from the biggest QE of all time. In that regard, the following year was all one trade up and to the right for risk. Then in 2022, we saw the unwinding of all risk assets as bonds repriced following the most aggressive Fed rate hike regime in history. 
So it's been unusual times, but there's no intrinsic need for Bitcoin to have a high correlation to risk assets. It's, it is likely with time that as Bitcoin becomes a multi-trillion dollar asset, it will be more interconnected with major asset classes and so expect to see a more consistent positive correlation with gold over the next decade, which has a highly negative correlation with the dollar. Uh, they then ask, how do you think U.S. regulatory pressure will impact Bitcoin and crypto markets going forward? Do you think Binance and Coinbase were the tip of the iceberg? As a response, impossible to say for sure, but I believe the regulatory fears of early 2023 have been well overblown. Bitcoin was long ago classified as a commodity and from a regulatory perspective is in the clear. There's definitely question marks on various altcoins, but the legal outcome of XRP being deemed not a security was definitely an interesting turn of events this month. Finally, it's pretty consistent that the industry and government where it matters is in support of this asset class and knows it's here to stay. BlackRock ETFs have a 99.8% success rate, and its announcement to launch a Bitcoin ETF was essentially a regulatory and financial industry green light. We've seen half a dozen other leading tier financial institutions follow suit, and of course, now presidential candidate Kennedy is talking about backing the dollar with Bitcoin. This asset class is here to stay. There will be bumps and hiccups along the way, but the direction is clear to me. Uh, then they ask, how do you foresee progress of the BlackRock spot ETF and its effect on Bitcoin should it launch? And he responds, the BlackRock ETF approval will be huge for the industry. BlackRock is the biggest asset manager in the world. And its and regulatory seal of approval will allow a new wave of capital to flow into the market. Many institutions sat on the sidelines last year due to concerns and uncertainty regarding crypto regulation. ETF approval will be a big rubber stamp yes for Bitcoin. ETFs also arguably make it easier for institutions to put Bitcoin on their balance sheet as they don't need to worry about custody or even entering the crypto space, so it opens a lot of doors. The best comparable we have for this event is the gold ETF launch in 2004. Interestingly, it launched when gold was down 50%, much like Bitcoin is today. What followed was a massive 350% return, seven-year bull run. Essentially, the Bitcoin ETF is just another goalpost on the pathway to broad regulatory acceptance and establishment of Bitcoin as a serious asset class, and it has big implications. Um, so, quite interesting, can't really disagree with the guy. Uh, moving on, uh, this article is from uh, Bitcoin Magazine, and this was posted on July 17th, and an update on Lightning. Binance implements Lightning Network support for Bitcoin transactions. Binance, one of the world's leading cryptocurrency exchanges, has successfully integrated Bitcoin onto the Lightning Network, enabling faster and more efficient transactions. As of today, users can now deposit and withdraw Bitcoin using the Lightning Network on the, on the Binance platform. The integration of Bitcoin on the Lightning Network marks a significant milestone for Binance as it aims to enhance the speed and scalability of Bitcoin transactions. By leveraging the Lightning Network, Binance aims to address the scalability challenges associated with the Bitcoin network, allowing users to enjoy faster and cheaper transactions. Previously, Binance has experienced issues in high fee environments, most recently highlighted when Bitcoin inscriptions caused a surge in fees. With the Lightning Network integration, Binance users can now take advantage of the Lightning Network's off-chain payment channels to send and receive Bitcoin transactions with reduced fees and faster settlement times. This development comes just as Lightning is being integrated into other exchange platforms, essentially becoming an expectation for quick and easy Bitcoin transactions. Just last week, a European exchange named Coinfinity also integrated the Lightning Network with plans for further integration down the road. According to the official statement by Binance, users can find their assigned Bitcoin deposit addresses on the Lightning Network within the Deposit Crypto page on the platform. The exchange has provided an FAQ section to guide users on how to deposit Bitcoin using the Lightning Network. 
The integration of the Lightning Network for Bitcoin transactions is expected to bring tangible benefits to Binance users, offering them faster and more cost-effective way to engage with the leading cryptocurrency. And uh, Binance has been dragging their feet on this for a long time, but I think with the Ordinals uh, launch um, this year and then the uh, extremely high uh, fees that, that uh, started happening on the main chain, it became you know really cost prohibitive to to uh, move uh, coins on the main chain. So a lot of of um, people switched to Lightning, uh, which is off chain and uh, much much cheaper to move. And so that I think was what finally prompted uh, Binance to uh, roll out this functionality. But uh, clearly, Lightning uh, Network is a level two protocol for. Uh, handling small payments uh, anonymously um, is um, growing in popularity, and um, you know this is a good sign of adoption. Uh, even though they're kind of on the rocks in the United States, it's a big world out there, and there's plenty of people that are uh, using Binance around the world. Uh, and then uh, last, uh, I thought we'd. Um, Go over this uh, one particular article, uh, which is an opinion piece that I thought was kind of interesting. Uh, before we wrap up, this is from Bitcoin Magazine. Um, to drive meaningful adoption, we should accept that Bitcoin is not for everyone. This was posted on July 17th. This is an opinion editorial by Fernando Nikolic, the Director of Marketing and Communications for Blockstream. Bitcoin is not for everyone. It's a bold statement that may seem counterintuitive when the goal is mass adoption. After all, shouldn't we aim to convince everyone about the benefits of Bitcoin? Well, the truth is we can't, and that's okay. In our world, it's easy to live within a filter bubble surrounded by like-minded plebs who reinforce our beliefs, but when we attempt to market Bitcoin to the masses, we quickly realize that not everyone shares our enthusiasm. The resounding chorus of no can be disheartening. And there are many examples of people claiming to, quote, give up on orange-pilling normies. That's not the way forward. We need to resist the temptation to use the same message on the ocean of regular people who we want to bring to our side. Instead, we need to find our swimming pool, a smaller audience that gives us the chance to make a real impact. It's unrealistic to expect every person to embrace Bitcoin, even with the most compelling pitch. By accepting this reality, we can laser focus our efforts on those who are open to change and receptive to the message. An example of someone who has understood this is Herman Vivier from Bitcoin Ekasi. He is a laser focused he is laser focused on building a circular economy in a very specific place, the township of JCC Camp in South Africa, and knows everything about the people in that community, their pain, beliefs, needs, doubts, and educates his local community about Bitcoin based on this information. Vivier knows certain things that we might value will not be seen in the same regard among his community members. So he adopts their language, sprinkles it with Bitcoin truth, and makes the case for Bitcoin in a way that only they can truly understand. To me, that is the spirit of respect. We must acknowledge that Bitcoin is not for everyone. This doesn't mean we are excluding or dismissing individuals. It's about recognizing that our offering is tailored to different specific groups. By saying it's not for you, we show respect for everyone's time, beliefs, and desires. We can proudly declare, this is for you, not for the other folks, but for you. To create something meaningful for the people who are willing to listen and study Bitcoin, we must embrace the freedom to ignore the critics who will never understand it. Our focus should be on polishing our stories for those who truly need to hear it and who want to hear it. Success lies in changing the lives of the people who trust us, the ones who have connected with our vision. What others outside our target audience think becomes completely irrelevant. Because there's one thing about normies that applies everywhere, they truly struggle to articulate their desires explicitly, but they do know what they want. As Bitcoiners, we understand this too well, but the complexity of our knowledge often makes it challenging to express in a way that resonates with them. Simplifying our message and accepting that Bitcoin is not for everyone allows us to focus on those who are ready to listen. Like Neil Woodfine just wrote, Every minute spent spreading the word or promoting awareness would be better spent coding, designing, PMing, documenting, selling, or marketing a product. 
In conclusion, Bitcoiners have the opportunity to stand for something rather than claiming Bitcoin is for everyone. We should start by identifying audience worth serving. By understanding their needs, wants, and dreams, we can build something tailored for them. This requires sometimes going to extremes to make a solid point, finding our edge and standing for something specific rather than trying to cater to everyone. In doing so, we can create powerful narratives that resonate and drive meaningful adoption. Um, and my take on this is, you know, I think he's right. And, uh, you know, my approach is, is education and, um, you know, just putting it out there. And um, if, if and when people are ready to understand, you know, Bitcoin, they'll, they'll do the research and um, play around with a little and, you know, maybe they'll learn more. Maybe they'll, um, you know, progress in their conviction and maybe they'll decide, yeah, this isn't really for me. I'm, I'm really a gold bug. I'd rather own gold. I don't really understand this or really care to understand it. And that's fine. So um, it's really, you know, important to put the information out there and, and in as many different ways as possible um, and give people the opportunity to learn. But ultimately, you have to make your own decisions um, about Bitcoin, about a lot of things in life and take personal responsibility for for those decisions. So uh, anyway, and then last, uh, did want to mention this week's Substack post. And again, I'll put a link in the show notes for this as well. Um, uh, the article is entitled Building a Resilient Retirement Portfolio, Embracing Hard Assets in Bitcoin, uh, subtitled What Worked in the Past May Not Work in the Future. So uh, please check it out if you have the time. And thanks for listening um, to the podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please like and leave a comment. Also, don't forget to subscribe on your favorite podcast app so you don't miss an episode. Um, you should listen on Fountain. You, you can earn sats um, just for listening. You can also follow my Substack, uh, of course, at bitcoinfortress.substack.com. And you can follow me on Twitter. My handle's at Nick Reichert. Um, I also have, um, I'm also on Noster. If you're on Noster, if you haven't tried Noster, you should check it out. It's very cool. Uh, decentralized communication protocol uh, where you can't be canceled. I will talk to you all next week. Bye-bye.